Uh, today, because it is Graduate Recognition Sunday, I want to share a word with you that I think is fitting and appropriate to our graduates, although one that I think is relevant to us all. And so to that end, let me invite you to join me in the book of Colossians this morning, the third chapter. Paul is writing to a group of Christians in Colossae that are going through a season of confusion and uncertainty. I'll say more about that in a moment, but he writes to, to address their uncertainties and to speak to their concerns and to really settle their fears and to refocus them on the central truth of their lives, which is Jesus Christ. And so here's what he has to say uh, in chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be unto God. Well, I realize I'm probably dating myself here, but those of you who are my age or older will probably remember a, a three-word slogan that was popular back in the early 1980s, just say no. 
It was the central rallying cry of America's war on drugs. It was popularized by then First Lady Nancy Reagan, who appeared all over TV and radio, often accompanied by celebrities and a rather well-polished ad campaign. And the goal of it all was to alert people to the dangers of drug use and then encourage them to just say no, to just reject it. Now, nobody can criticize the intent behind that effort, and certainly no one can question the very real danger that drugs posed both then and now. But looking back, it is fair to ask, did it work? Was the just-say-no movement effective? And if we lay politics and ideology aside, the most objective answer is to say that it had mixed results at best. It certainly raised awareness of the issue. The fact that we're still talking about it over 35 years later is testimony to that. But what we now understand in ways that maybe we didn't then is that a person who's battling drug addiction and the oftentimes difficult circumstances that lead to it, such a person needs more than just a negative slogan to see their way through it. Simply asking somebody to say no by itself won't get us very far unless we can first ask them to say yes to something. Now, I'm not here this morning to uh, debate drug policy. I use it as an example simply because it illustrates something that I believe runs deep in our human condition. There are destructive and evil things in the world, and we need to be able to say no to them. But as human beings, we are designed first and foremost to say yes to something. I believe that the fundamental character and shape of our lives is determined primarily not by the things we choose to reject, but rather by that which we choose to accept, that which we choose to embrace. It is what we say yes to to that first and foremost sets the direction of our lives and then once that direction has been set once we have determined what it is we are saying yes to in life then we can begin to understand what we should say no to if we go all the way back to the beginning of the biblical story all the way back to genesis chapters 1 and 2 when God creates man and woman we see a clear picture of his intent his purpose he created us to say yes to him God intended for human beings to be in love with him to seek fellowship with him to make him the primary orientation in our lives in those first two chapters of Genesis you will note that there is not a single mention of a rule or a prohibition now, God did eventually give Adam and Eve a no that they were to say. They were told to say no to the tree in the center of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But that doesn't get mentioned until Genesis chapter 3, after God has first created them and wooed them into love with him. Of course, in Genesis 3, we see the terrible destruction that's wrought when Adam and Eve violate that prohibition and ignore God's no, there is death and sin in the world because of it. But I don't believe we can fully make sense out of that no until we have first grasped the power of the yes that's being asked for in Genesis 1 and 2. Only if we first understand that God has called us into fellowship with him 
can we then understand the things God has asked us to reject. Religion is often thought of as a set of rules or a list of prohibitions about what we cannot do. Only yesterday I found myself in a public environment seated next to a woman who didn't know I was listening. She thought I was taking a nap, silly her. (laughs) She was talking to her friend about how dumb religion is and all these crazy Jesus people in the world. Now, let's be clear and fair. There are rules and there are prohibitions. By the time Jesus showed up on the scene, the Jewish leaders had gone through the Old Testament with a fine-tooth comb and had counted up all of the commandments and the rules that God had given, all the things that you had to do and all of the things that you couldn't do, and they found a total of 613. 613 rules that governed every aspect of daily life. Now, that's a lot of rules. But let's put that into some context. In the Old Testament alone, there are roughly 23,000 verses of Scripture just in the Old Testament. 23,000. There's another roughly 8,000 in the New Testament. That's 31,000 verses of Scripture in the Bible, 613 rules. Do the math. It means the vast majority of the Bible is not about rules. It's not about things we can and cannot do. The vast majority of Scripture is a story of a God who has pursued us. That's why Jesus was so frustrated by the legalistic spirit of the religious leaders of his day. All they cared about was making sure that everybody kept all the rules that were written down in Scripture. They wanted to make sure that everybody abided by all of the no's that had been given them. And in the process, they missed the point. I love the way Jesus phrased it. He said, you're straining out gnats and swallowing camels. Clearly, he had a sense of humor about himself. And the point they missed, what they couldn't grasp, was that the Bible was first and foremost the story of a God who has said yes to sinful humanity. In spite of all of our rebellion, in spite of all of our disobedience, in spite of all the reasons we have given God to simply abandon us altogether, God has moved towards us in love and in mercy. In the person and the ministry of Jesus Christ, God has said yes to sinful humanity. And in saying yes to us, what he desires most of all is for us to say yes to him in return. And not just any old yes. God doesn't want to be just another yes in our life alongside a whole bunch of other yeses. He wants to be the central yes. The primary yes. The first yes around which all the other yeses and all the other no's find their meaning and their purpose. He wants to be the central presence and power around which all of life is organized. You may recall a story in the Gospels about a religious scholar. It's always the religious folk who are getting in trouble with Jesus. They come to Jesus one day and ask him, what's the greatest commandment? Now, they don't just have in mind the Ten Commandments. They're thinking about all those 613 commandments that I spoke of a moment ago. They think they've got Jesus cornered because how could he possibly pick one out without making the others unimportant? Now, what's important to me to note is not simply what Jesus said, but what he didn't say. Out of all those 613 commandments, Jesus could have picked one of the no's as being most important. 
He could have said that the most important thing about life is what we don't do, that we don't lie, that we don't cheat, that we don't commit adultery. But he didn't say that. He answered with a yes. The most important thing about life, he said, is what we do. What he says specifically is this, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. In in other words, love God with all your intellect, love God with all your will, love God with all your emotion, with everything that you are, say yes to him, and then everything else will follow in its place. I'm not sure we can ever understand what we are supposed to say no to until we first figured out what it is we're saying yes to. And that truth is one of the central themes of Paul's letter to the church in Colossae. He wanted to remind his friends there of their primary relationship with Jesus Christ and to show them how that anchored everything else in life. Now keep in mind, these are Christians to whom Paul is writing. He's not trying to convince pagans to trust Jesus. He's writing to people who already do, at least so they have said. These are people who have already said yes to God's love for them in Christ. And Paul wants to rekindle for them that love and to reorient the power of that yes in their lives. Now, he he writes because that commitment, that yes, that love appears to be waning and appears to be in jeopardy. We don't know all of the exact circumstances, but it appears that the, that the church has drifted from the message that was first preached to them. If you read through the lines and piece together, we can put together a probable explanation of what was happening. It, it appears that a group of false teachers had come in and were now teaching a gospel, something they called a gospel, which really wasn't the gospel at all. They were teaching that Apparently, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ had not been enough in and of itself to address our most basic spiritual problems and needs. According to these false apostles, these false teachers, the universe is full of all of these hostile spiritual forces that are seeking to do us in. And that in order to protect ourselves, we've got to take drastic steps to placate these forces. And this requires, among other things, adhering to a rigid set of rules and rituals and legalistic expectations about what you can and what you cannot do. Because all these forces that are lurking in the universe might just sneak up and grab you at any moment if you're not doing the right things and avoiding the wrong things kept enough rules you could keep the spiritual chaos of the universe at bay and if you didn't you might just be in trouble now the result of this teaching was as you can well imagine a sense of chaos and confusion and even even fear as these Colossian Christians are now roaming about their daily lives wondering whether or not they're saying enough no's to the right things Paul wrote to reassure them and to redirect them, to tell them that Jesus had already taken care of all of that. And on the cross, Jesus has already conquered sin. He's already destroyed death. He already is victorious, not over some chaos and evil, but over all of it, that even death itself has been destroyed. 
And because these believers have said yes to Him, they are already included in that victory. Nothing else for them to do. Nothing else for them to fear. No spiritual accomplishments that they have to go out and achieve on their own in order to attain some level of spiritual perfection because nothing will ever drag them away from the love of God in Jesus Christ. It didn't mean then or now that nothing bad will ever happen, but it did mean that their union with God was certain and secure because of what God had done for them. And because they had already said yes to God's action on their behalf, there was nothing else they needed to fear. And so, in affirmation of that victory, Paul says in Colossians 3 verse 2, Set your mind on things above and not on earthly things. Set your mind on things above. In other words, let God and the things of God be the central organizing principle of your life. Let Him be the focus of your direction and your purpose. Now when Paul says, set your mind on, earthly, on things above and not on earthly things, he's not telling us that earthly things, that the things of earth are inherently bad and that we should ignore them. There are things of earth that require attention and are worthy of our energy and even reasonable sources of joy in life. But if we will first say yes to Him in the way that He has said yes to us, then all these other things will find their appropriate place. Set your mind on things above. Say yes to God in Jesus Christ. Now, I have chosen this text today because we are honoring and, and celebrating our graduates who are about to move out into the world. And we've got these few focused moments with them this morning, and we must ask ourselves, what is the most important thing that we as their church family could say to them? Of all the things we might want to say to them, if we could ask them to remember one thing, one little nugget of godly wisdom with which we could send them out into the world, what would it be? And I suppose we could spend our time this morning focusing on all the things we want them to avoid. And believe me, there is no shortage of things on that list. There are things out there that look appealing and enticing and they will be available in abundant supply, but in the end, they only lead to death and destruction. There are plenty of things. We want our graduates to have the courage and the conviction and the wisdom to say no to. And if we wonder what those things are, they are basically the same things that the Apostle Paul told the Colossians to say no to. Nothing has changed in a couple thousand years. Sexual immorality impurity, lust, greed, anger, malice, slander, filth. As our graduates enter this next chapter of their lives, there will be no shortage of opportunities for them to indulge themselves in such things. And so we must pray that they will learn how to recognize them and to reject them, to just say no.
But I also believe those no's will only make sense if they first understand what it is they've been asked and given the chance to say yes to. And that's why the Apostle Paul, before he goes into this list of things that the Colossians are supposed to reject, first tells them to say yes to something else. To say yes to the love of God in Jesus Christ. Say yes to His mercy. Say yes to His grace. Say yes to His beauty. Say yes to His truth. And then once you do that, everything else will begin to find its proper place. That's what he means when he tells us to set our minds on things above. Now the world into which we are sending these graduates will not necessarily encourage that kind of yes. In fact, sometimes it will be downright hostile to it. Our graduates, and oftentimes we too, will be told that the key to maturity is learning to keep your mind free from all these silly religious entanglements. The ancient Colossians may have been guilty of worrying too much about all the spiritual forces that are at work in the world, but we in the modern world have moved in the opposite direction and have tended to ignore spiritual realities altogether. In our modern conversation, we have removed God from the discussion at all, and we have instead put ourselves at the center of the universe. The only thing we're asked to say yes to these days is ourselves. But understand this, despite what we may be told, there is no such thing as a neutral mind or an objective heart, because every person even those who claim not to believe in anything, every person, every life has some central thing around which it is organized. For all of us, there is something that occupies the center of our thoughts. There is something that captivates our imaginations. There is something that grabs our emotions. There is something that focuses our desires. For all of us, there is some central purpose, some center of gravity that pulls us forward. Maybe it's a bigger salary or a better reputation or a bigger house or any of the things that the world around us says are worth pursuing, but understand that everybody has said yes to something. But in the end, there is only one yes that leads to life. It is the yes that we say to Jesus Christ. Through his life, through his death, and through his resurrection, he's already said yes to us. He has pursued us, and he has called us. And when we say yes to him, he will fold us into his love for all eternity. It begins with yes. It was almost 22 years ago now that my wife and I stood in front of a church full of people and looked at a preacher and said, yeah, we'll do that. We'll take each other to be husband and wife no matter what. As long as we both shall live, what were we thinking? <laughs> it began with that yes. Now, as a part of that yes, there was also a no. 
the vows we said to each other said, okay, by the way, since you're saying yes to each other, will you also agree to say no to everybody else? Will you, I think the exact word was, will you forsake all others? But that only makes sense if we understand that we first said yes to one another. And for 22 years, that yes has been the central organizing principle of our life together. And because of that yes, the other no's take care of themselves. When we say yes to God in Jesus Christ, it comes with some expectations. There are some no's that follow in its wake. But it begins and it ends with the yes that God has said to us in Jesus Christ. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Thanks be unto God. Let's pray together. Gracious and eternal Savior, we thank You that You have said yes to us. We did not deserve it. We have not earned it. We are not worthy of it. And yet You have pursued us and You have loved us unconditionally and eternally. And now enable us to lay aside whatever stands between us and saying yes to you fully in Jesus Christ. Especially do we hold our graduates up before you this morning and ask that as they move out into this next chapter that you would enfold them in the love of your Holy Spirit. That you would give them the wisdom and the courage to say yes every day of their lives. In Jesus' name we pray. God invites us to say yes to him, but he doesn't force it upon us. We have that option. We can continue to say no and hold him at arm's length. Or we can accept the gift that he freely offers. As we close out our time of worship today, we have the opportunity to do just that. If you have never accepted Jesus Christ and acknowledged him as Lord and Savior, the Spirit is calling. Would you say yes to him today? If you're needing a church home, a place to plug in with other believers, we want to be that for you, and we'd love to receive you in this moment. But all of us are being asked, no matter where we are in our journey, to say yes to him. My prayer is that we will hear that call, and we will have the courage to say what he's already said yes to us.